Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucet, and as we do every Thursday, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today is a 35-year veteran of martial arts, a USA Taekwondo certified referee working in both Pumse and sparring. He has four sons, three of which are also black belts. The fourth will be testing for his soon. He's been the editor of Taekwondo Life magazine since 2016, and before that was a lead correspondent for Taekwondo Times. He has also hosted the Taekwondo Life podcast for three years. Please welcome Mr. Mark Zirianis. Did I get the name right? You got it perfectly. <laughs> nice. Very good. Thank you for having me, Brian. Oh, welcome. Welcome to the show. What we do with all my guests, I want to jump back to the beginning. I want to know what, what was that first spark? What led to that first interest in martial arts? Okay, great question. So for me, uh, I grew up at a time that martial arts practice was not really widely available for young people. Uh, I had an older brother who was insanely uh, interested in the martial arts, you know, uh, probably never a Saturday at my house that Kung Fu theater wasn't on all day. Nice. And we had a local martial arts dojang. They wouldn't take kids, but my brother was really gifted and they let him try out as a teenager and they allowed him to join the school, but I was too young. So I was really anxious to get on the mat, but they wouldn't let me. They would just let me watch. And I sat there and just waited, waited my turn until uh, I got old enough to get involved. And I think as that happened, I I absorbed a lot and, and um, the the interest uh, sparked. And by the time that I got involved, things had started the landscape here. It started to change a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, opened up a lot more. The karate kid happened, right. And a lot more dojangs opened up for families and children and and that really started the whole thing. I got involved through college. I was through a collegiate program. And then after that, and, and you know, for the better part of my, my adult life, I've been involved in, in various aspects of uh, Taekwondo, whether it be training, whether it be teaching. And then, of course, when I had my kids, uh, really thought it was important for them. Uh, mostly because of the environment and the the attitude and and the the lessons that they would learn. Okay, so that first school was that Taekwondo school? Yeah. So at the time, it was called Korean Karate. <laughs> yep. So it was prior to you know really the term Taekwondo was not widely known, and there was a great attempt on the part of uh, Taekwondo practitioners here to be able to get people to sort of understand that it was a martial art that came from Korea. Mm-hmm. And I think that the attempt was to use the term karate because there was more familiarity with it. Right. Um, so it was a, a more, uh, it was a more Japanese based form of Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. It had, was uh, took a lot of roots from Shotokan, a lot of deep stances, a lot of more um, uh, strong movement as opposed to more fluid movement. So that was my first, that's a Chung Daquan for those that are familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I began studying under the Chung Daquan style under the lineage is uh, Grandmaster uh, Duck Sung, who wrote the book Korean Karate. 
But uh, yes, and then it evolved into Olympic style, Kukyuan style mm-hmm. Taekwondo under Jido Kwan with the Grandmaster Weich Park. Okay, yeah. So my, my first uh, Taekwondo school in 92 was under Chung Kwan and it was under Grandmaster Byungjik Ro. And wow. then, and then uh, my instructor's instructor was actually Grandmaster um, Mu Young Yun. And then the second school I switched to was still under Grandmaster Mu Young Yun. And after years, they ended up switching to actually, no, I take the back. It was first, it was Sung Mu Kwan. Then it switched under Byungjik Ro. Then it switched to Chung Mu Kwan. So, and, yes. now, and now they're actually under Mu Dak Kwan. So it's changed three times since I've been in it uh, in 92. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And we have some, some very good friends here in this area who are under that, under that same style. So which, uh, I'm just curious, just being a, a fellow Taekwondo, is what, uh, which uh, patterns, which forms did you guys do? Was it, did you do the, so the Paul gay? We actually, yeah, we did the Paul gay. And then of course, when I switched to cookie one style, we did, uh, we were doing Thai gooks and, and those now, actually I do, I do both. I mean, uh, you know, being involved in the referee world and mm-hmm. sport, pump, oh, obviously suppose. that's all the, the, the Thai, the, you know, the Thai gooks, but I still do the, the Paul gays. And, and I think that there, there's a lot of value to those and many of the Thai gooks and many of the uh, higher belt black belt forms of the cookie one adopted really have a lot of the same patterns, um, that have been incorporated into different forms. Yeah. We've never switched to the Thai gooks. My, my instructor was never a fan of those. So we're strictly stickly Paul gay. And I've been doing those since, since 1992. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's kind of cool. Very, very, very cool. Yes. It was, a. Uh, a great way to, to, to get started. And, and even after a lot of years of not doing them, when I went back to doing them, a lot of that muscle memory came back and it was a lot of fun. So thinking back to that very first school, those maybe the first three, four, five classes, once you got into it, what was it that drew you in? What made you want to continue and want to stick with it? You know, that's an excellent question because I think a lot of times what draws you in isn't what keeps you there. It can be, but for me, it was, I would tell you that there were a couple of things, but one of them was really the, the relationships. I really found myself at home among the, the people. Uh, I found it to be very inviting and I found myself really, you know, challenged in a lot of, in a lot of ways, but it, it's always been for me about the community. You know, there was a time that uh, after I got my black belt and I left for a little while to uh, explore other things, I went to a kickboxing gym and did some other things. The martial arts part of it was the athleticism part of it was great, but but there's there's just something about the community of a of a martial arts community in a dojang that is uh, really has been my second family for 35 years. Okay, what what's something that stands out still to this day that you remember about that first instructor? So this is really interesting, but my first instructor was uh, Robert Jenkins Clark, and when I started taking Taekwondo, he was already in his. 80s and he wasn't you know obviously teaching all of the classes but he was the, the head instructor so I didn't really know too much about him and I was standing in front of the building we, we did it on in a um, gymnasium that the classes were in a college gymnasium and uh, on wooden floors and I see this beautiful brand new uh, Lamborghini pull up and I'm thinking like wow that is the coolest thing and the top pulls you know the doors go up mm-hmm. and I see this you know 80 year old guy come out of there and i'm like who is that guy and and that guy was the taekwondo uh instructor he was our wow. our master and, and and he was one of the most interesting and he was a bright he was a phd in in economics um he was a world traveler uh he had studied in korea he he was he was really a a dynamic guy and and i just found that you know it just 
one of the things that always reminded me is you got to be, you can't judge a book by its cover, right? I mean, mm -hmm. in, in every way, shape and form. And he was probably one of the most powerful and interesting people that, that I've ever known. Wow. That's kind of cool. So what, yeah. when did the competition part of it start for you and what kind of drew you to that? Was that something where you involved in sports when you were younger or was it the competition in martial arts, something new to you? No, I had been involved in, you know, in, in community sports, um, playing soccer. I was on my, on my, uh, varsity soccer team competing, but it was just something different. You know, there's just something different about martial arts competition. Uh, before I got involved, uh, you know, in, in the world of, um, sport Pumse, um, being involved in in sparring with the Chung Daquan and then and then in in Cookie One Style. I was never great at it, but I did enjoy it. Mm -hmm. It was a great opportunity to test myself. It was a great opportunity to push myself to to another level. But I love the competition atmosphere. And that's why at a certain point, you know, people have different skill sets. I'm probably not the greatest competitor. I'm probably not the greatest coach, but I really enjoyed officiating and I got heavily involved in the structured world of of that training and, and and learning that because i really to this day love to be around competitions even though i i'm not you know again particularly age age wise now you know it's 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 much tougher but um i i never was the highest level competitor okay so i know there's over the years there's been a lot of controversy about someone like the electronic scoring thing so are you more of a fan just personally of the old school scoring with flags or do you actually like the electronic scoring that they use you know i I think that the biggest issue has been and the biggest controversy has been that, you know, people are used to certain things. I think that there's a great value in the electronics. I just think that the execution needs to be better. And I think that there's a lot of movement that's been made to do that. You know, I think that 2016 in particular, when they made the dramatic moves, you know, athletes will do what athletes do. So the system was designed to do certain things and the athletes figured out ways to, when I say cheat, I mean, legally cheat, right? They figured how to use the system to their, to their advantage and there needed to be a little bit of a reset. I think we're in a great time now where there's a balance coming back between speed, power, electronic. I mean, at the end of the day, I do think that there is the whole idea, right? And again, I, I'm a referee, I'm a judge. The whole idea is that subjectivity shouldn't be a part of uh, who wins. It should be fair. It should be something that is is measurable. People should be able to view the sport and be able to clearly understand who the winner is. So I, I, I applaud the intentions. I just think that it took a little while and the execution of it took some time. You know, I'm an old school guy. I'm slow mm -hmm. strength, strength. I'm a big, I'm a big guy. Um, physically a big guy. Strength is, was always King for me. I'll never be the, fa the fastest guy, mm -hmm. but still in terms of overall, I go to a lot of events and I see some high level athletes who are fast, who are strong and who do really, you know, really well. So I do, while I understand the controversy, I think we really are. I think by, by Paris 2024, people will be really amazed at the dramatic and really positive changes they'll see in, in the sparring events. Nice. I'm curious, another one, just your personal opinion. Do you think we'll ever get back and to where we'll see more punching in the Olympic style? Cause I know like the, the tournaments we go to with, with our school, we are a little more traditional, but we do the sports, the sport aspect of it also, but we, our tournaments, they, a lot of people score with punches and it seems like when you watch the Olympics, you never, they never throw a punch. Their, their hands are down. Oh, I, all I, they 
do is kick. I, I do think that you're going to see it, and I've seen a lot more of it uh, recently in, in high-level tournaments. And one of the things I think that people don't always they under the people underestimate is that you know even if the the amount of points that you get with a punch is not great, you can dramatically uh, you know upset the 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 rhythm and the flow of yep. a fighter with it with a punch. And a good punch to the chest will really um, take somebody time to reset from. So I've seen some great. Uh, athletes come in and use the punch. To me, I think the punch is uh, is is undervalued. I I couldn't agree with you more. And I love to see people who properly execute a good punch in a, in a match. I really think that it because of the fact that people don't always expect it. You know, it it, it really throws the competitor off its off their game. Yeah, I think one of the, one of the first times I ever saw just an amazing punch score in a tournament was a small tournament in Central Minnesota back in the mid '90s, and it was a brown belt and a red belt. And it was tied with like 10 seconds left. And the I think it was the brown belt just dropped into a perfect traditional stance and threw it the most amazing f- punch ever and dropped this guy. And he did not get out. The fight was done. <laughs> he knocked him. Yeah, his no, I, it's like, wow. I, 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 um, I refereed a match last year and at a, uh, a sanctioned tournament, but it was probably a state level tournament and uh, was uh, two young ladies. And the fight ended the same way after nice. the punch, the, uh, the, the the competitor could not she just couldn't reset and she she ended up bowing out she couldn't catch her breath and she because she just didn't see it coming and it was a devastating punch and I said wow. that's that's a very that's a throwback to old to old school you mm-hmm. know that's awesome uh, that's awesome so at what level and and when did uh, when did you get drawn into the teaching part of martial arts okay so yes I got involved in the um, teaching part when I got my second on and I've always been around, you know, assisting, helping, mm-hmm. um, but formally teaching, formally certified to teach once I got my second on and then became very involved in doing that from the standpoint of uh, teaching, assisting classes, teaching, you know, where, whatever, whether it be my own classes uh, that, that I teach at the Dojang or whether it be assisting other senior masters. And beyond that, what I, what I began to do as I got into my third on and approached fourth on is Really, because Pumse is is my area of specialty. Mm-hmm. Not again. I'm not a great Pumse athlete from the standpoint of execution, but I work very very closely with the Pumse athletes because of my understanding from being a referee and my passion for it. I work very closely with the Pumse team and with the Pumse athletes. And in the classes, when there's a emphasis on teaching Pumse, I work a lot on that in terms of helping students get to higher levels in terms of. Uh, say in in martial arts nice see definitely different than my experience see my I, I was a super shy person growing up and i think my instructor noticed that and when i was a purple belt he used to have me help teach one-on-one with people and when i was a purple belt one time after class he pulled me aside he's like so i'm giving you your own class and i'm like um oh, wow okay sir and i thought he meant you know i'd have like a couple white belts i'd be helping and he's like be here tuesday night at this time and i walk in and all i see out there is brown and red belts people like higher rank than me I'm like oh when when does my class get here he goes they're out there sir and he goes attention everyone mr brian's in charge and he leaves <laughs> i'm just like oh wow yeah and he did like baptism by fire but the thing is it helped me get over my fear really quickly and it made me a better martial artist and they were all you know he told them to listen and they did and he's like if they don't listen give them push-ups so <laughs> but, that's great that's yeah. great and, and obviously obviously <laughs> his competence was uh he saw something that that uh that I made didn't. him feel that, that was, so that's great sometimes uh we need people to draw out of us what uh you know what we don't know we have and that's that's one of the things i love about martial arts and that's and that's been one of the things that i've loved over the years and being with it as long as i i have been is 
to see people go from really open up, you know, like a lotus flower, right? So you see mm-hmm. people who have a lot, obviously have a lot going on and whatever their issues are, whether their issues are social, sometimes people's issues are behavioral, sometimes their issues are physical, but you'll see, you know, and again, I think that's one of the things it's, it's, it's really important is, you know, we have a tendency to judge ourselves against others. I learned this probably because I don't have the greatest, you know, my physical limitations are noticeable. I don't, I don't have the highest kicks. I don't have the, I'm not the most flexible, but we judge our, the best is to judge from where we've come from. And I see so many of the students that if you look at them, you might say they're good martial artists, but if you look at where they came from, you go, wow, that's a real progression. And that, that, that's really one of the things that's really made it so valuable for me over the years. So what do you think then thinking back to when you first started teaching, what, what has changed the most about your teaching style over the years? Okay. Excellent question. So, and I have thought about this. I have come from a very traditional background. So I tend to be very, uh, I think that I tend to be very stern and I tend to be not, I would never say I'm mean. I love kids, but I tend to be very no nonsense and I tend to be very serious. I've always tended, but I've come to understand that in terms of being able to relate, particularly to younger students, that for them, it's important for them to have respect, but that we could have a good time also. And I've kind of loosened up a little bit of my teaching style to make myself more approachable, I think, from the standpoint of some of the younger students. You know, it's always important to me that, you know, there's an arms, a little bit of an arm's length relationship between the teacher and the students, and that the students understand that you're not there. Yes, you want to be a friend to them in terms of being able to help them, but that we're not we're not friends, uh, socially friends, and and that there, there needs to always be that traditional level of respect. But you can do that in a way that still that you have a good time and that you make them laugh. And I've loosened up a lot in terms of in terms of that. And that was conscious on my part because I, you know, especially now that I'm older, so I, I don't want to. I never wanted to be thought of as just the old mean guy. So <laughs> I, I try to make myself more approachable, and it's it's definitely paid dividends. Nice. So are you one that uh, disguises um, games as exercise for the kids sometimes? Yes. I mean, you know, I tend to focus more on traditional teaching styles. So for me, you know, there's so many different things that you could do. Disguising repetition is, is, is a really good way being able to teach something and reinforce, but not get them, you know, to be bored. Right. And one of the things I think I learned about going from adults to kids is right. Adults come in, they have a serious mentality. They have a longer attention span, you know, teenagers and adults, and they're looking to learn something and they're looking to perfect it. So they're willing to maybe do the same drill. You know, we would do the same drills over and over and over again until you got it right with kids. They'll tend to get bored. So we've, I worked at, you know, my master has been terrific at, at, you know, working with me on doing disguising repetition, trying, to do some of those things, but work them into sort of fun. So you do the basic, then you work it into sort of a fun game or a fun drill. Maybe you do some sort of a partner drill, but you're basically still drilling the same technique, but now you're mixing it up for them. So now all of a sudden they never get bored and, and they stay on top of it. And, you know, like I said, try, try to keep it where they're serious, but let them smile and let them laugh a little bit. Nice. Now you mentioned earlier, you mentioned trying out kickboxing and stuff. Now, is there any other styles you've dabbled in and researched and, and do you? Sure. I, I, I did, uh, my son, uh, one of my sons was a colleague. He was a high school wrestler. And then when he got involved in Sambo uh, and uh, he was a collegiate Sambo, um, you know, Russian judo, basically mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, gi, um, the heavy gi. And so I, I watched a lot of that. I didn't actually participate, but uh, I used to go to the, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu classes that they had to train those guys. Um, so I did a little of that. I've trained a little bit in Kempo. 
Um, I've trained a little bit in boxing. I've dabbled in a lot of things, hopefully to try to improve my ultimate physicality and my ultimate timing. But ultimately, I always, you know, Taekwondo is my love and my passion. And I, and I always gravitate back to how it relates to my Taekwondo experience. So do you ever, for fun, bring some of the stuff you've learned in other styles into like a Taekwondo class for like, you know, like, hey, we're going to grapple tonight or something? Absolutely. Absolutely. Nice. We, you know, we've gotten to a, a stage where, you know, we do some ground defense. Uh, we, we learn, um, you know, I try to figure out the practical aspects, you know, we, we try to do, you know, whether it be punch defense, whether it be grab defense, things of that nature that, that people will have the opportunity to, you know, again, especially when you're in the Olympic side and you're cooking on Olympic side, that, that type of uh, combat isn't uh, practical per se, right. that's sport, right? So, but to me, you know, people come again, people come for many different reasons. Many people come to martial arts come to taekwondo to learn how to defend themselves to learn how to protect themselves and so try to balance the uh the sparring aspects and things of that nature with some real practical things and i think you can do that relatively simply because if you look at the world most people really don't know how to fight so there's going to be simple simple things right simple kind of punches that people are going to throw or grabs or pushes and we work on those and i think that those are positive things for people also and i've had that argument with so many people over the years they they're like oh yeah but if if you don't do this and i'm like 99 percent of the time if you get in a fight it's going to be with someone who's not a martial artist so a basic self-defense is almost always going to work absolutely and i think it's more important is to know less and drill it more you know exactly um and i think when people you know we get there's so many different techniques you could teach people but again like you said they're generally not going to be the way that people are going to be engaged in a real life situation and the reality of it is knowing how to do those less techniques really well I think is important. Yeah. I was just gonna say, I got a friend who's putting together a, a women's self-defense class at his work and he's, it's like a 12 week class. And he's like, what? You know, he's trying to come up a list of like 15. Te- I'm like, no, no, just get like four techniques and perfect them over those 12 weeks. Just those four basic, easy to use techniques and work nothing but them. Absolutely. And the other part of it is that, you know, one of the things I loved about martial arts is that, you know, you really do learn people think it's a cliche, but, but it's true that, you know, people's level of confidence and people's demeanor and their swagger, you learn when you're better trained, you're less likely to be in, in a fight. I mean, de-escalation is one of the things we really focus on. We focus on eye contact. We focus on body language. We focus on doing everything that you can, you know, and a lot of people come to martial arts and they say, Hey, I want to learn how to fight. Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is when, when they get into it, they, what they discover is that they, they're really good at being able to not have a fight when, when that time comes. And that's, that's a, that's a great thing to work with somebody on. Yeah. I actually just, just told a guest that yesterday when I got into it, cause I got picked on as a kid and my whole thing was, I'm going to learn to do this and I'm going to get revenge. And since I started training in martial arts at the age of 10, I've been in two fights ever in my adult life. <laughs> so that's right. And those I had, I had no choice. <laughs> so no, absolutely. And that's it. Right. It, it becomes this, this philosophy of, you know, it's going to be my last resort. But then again, if, if, if that occurs, if I need to fight, then I'll be prepared to defend myself. Yep. You know, and I always say the same thing for me, too, is, you know, at this point in my life, if, if I can't defend myself within a very short period of time, then I'm just going to run like hell. Because, uh, <laughs> yep. you know, then I because uh, I'm never going to sustain, a, a you know, it's not going to be one of these martial arts movie fights of, you know, 15 minutes of back and forth. Yeah, that's not realistic. So 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 what led you to the world of, of magazines? I'm curious. First of all, just uh, take one times if that was your first one. What, what led to that? And just talk a little bit about your experience there. Sure. So I've always been interested in writing. I got involved in, you know, I, I've traveled a lot through the martial arts. 
I've always been very, very interested in, in reading and writing. And I submitted an article to them at the time, which was many years ago. They liked the article. Uh, the editor-in-chief at that time called me and said, hey, would you be interested in doing stuff, some stuff regularly? I said, yes. So I ended up you know, sort of moving up the ranks. I became the lead correspondent at Taekwondo Times. There were some changes there that I wasn't thrilled with, but I, I still was doing my thing. Then uh, I got approached when Taekwondo Life was started. I got a call and they said, we're starting a magazine. And I said, that's great. They said, we'd like you to be involved. And I said, that's great. And they said, I said, I'll submit some articles. And they said, no, 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 we, we're, we're looking for an editor in chief. And I said, well, <laughs> I've never done that before. And they go, exactly your, your story about teaching class. They go, well, now is as good a time as, as any. And I said, well, if you give me the support, I'll, I'll do my best. Nice. And that's been going on since 2016. And it's grown. And one of the things that was really, um, I have to say, visionary about it from the people who started it, uh, Hyunwon Park and Edward Park, they, they started the magazine, is that everybody was sort of getting out of print magazines. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, for to have credibility, they believed in having a print magazine. And they dove in and I said, you know, this is really isn't probably the right time. You know, everyone's getting out of print magazines and they they believed in it. And it has been one of the things that has given the magazine great credibility. Nice. So um, I've learned a lot. And it's grown. And then we started the podcast basically because the magazine is a uh, quarterly magazine. Mm-hmm. We do about five issues a year because it's quarterly and we usually do a special issue. But there's so much that happens in between there that I wanted to be able to use our website and use the podcast to be able to report and feature other items that perhaps would be, would be stale waiting for a quarter. And that's really sort sort of how it worked out. And we did that three years ago. And both of those things have really grown uh, geometrically in that time. So just to let some of the listeners know who maybe haven't read the magazine or listened to the podcast, in a typical issue of Taekwondo Life, what what can people see in there? And then what can they hear on a typical episode of the podcast? Excellent. So we we generally do like the magazine that came out for April, May has uh, Jamaican national team coach Tony Beyond uh, is on the cover. And we do a story about him. He's an interesting guy, came from Korea, uh, went to Brazil, from Brazil. Uh, His father was a grandmaster. He came to New York, studied ITF, then went from ITF to Kukiwan style, became an athlete, became a competitor, then became a coach. Now he's working with Jamaica to build up, you know, it's sort of like the cool runnings model, right? They have uh, Taekwondo there, but they really don't have any Taekwondo masters there that can help lead them to the Olympics. And he's doing that. Um, so we usually have one cover story that's a deep feature. We always have news from various aspects of the Taekwondo organization. So we'll have uh, ATA news. We have uh, IOC news from the Olymp- International Olympic Committee, USA Taekwondo, World Taekwondo, the Kukiwan. People submit you know, press releases from there. So those are usually somewhat topical. We try to uh, have a one or two articles that will relate to physical fitness, whether they be training articles, uh, whether they be articles. I think we have an article, this uh, issue about muscle inflammation and how to deal with muscle inflammation. Oh, cool. We have an issue uh, about Korean cuisine and, and why it's uh, so healthy for you. you know, these are all very typical type articles that we have that are, uh, we have an article that is written by someone who's 87 year old martial arts uh, master continuing to practice about how martial arts has continued to keep him young. So what we've tried to do, that the real focus of the magazine has been one of the things that I wasn't crazy about in some of the prior magazines I worked with is we didn't want to be a forum for 
my master is the greatest, right? Because right. people, everyone could submit that. And I believe everyone believes their master is the greatest. <laughs> otherwise, they wouldn't be training with them. But yep. that doesn't necessarily have great interest across the spectrum. So we look for articles that have relevance to Taekwondo practitioners, to martial artists. Uh, we have a lot of non-Taekwondo practitioners that are, read our, our stuff. And we try to have high-level content, well-written, good photographs, and, ha- and, of, and of good substance. What, what I've done in, in the meantime in the podcast is sometimes we select some of those and we do a deeper dive. Uh, we'll select a topic, but we also do things that are more topical. We're, we, we sit on the press corps for a lot of movie studios, so we get a lot of screeners for martial arts movies that are out and that are coming out. So we use it as a good forum to do a movie reviews. We cover tournaments uh, all over the Taekwondo world. They don't all have to be Kukiwan or WT. They could be uh, various things, fundraisers. During COVID, we did a lot of articles and podcast features on how COVID was affecting the martial arts community, things of that nature. Sometimes they're interview driven. Sometimes we get guests. Sometimes they're topic driven. But always, I think the criteria we look for is either about Taekwondo and martial arts or of interest to Taekwondo and martial arts practitioners. That's sort of the, you know, the the bent that we take. Very cool. And I will definitely put links for for all those out there for sure. Yeah. And then I'm just curious also, looking through Amazon, you've written, looks like you've written a lot of books. When did that start and how many, I mean, you've written books on all kinds of subjects. So first of all, when did you write your first book and how many have you done that are on martial arts? Great question. So I've written a number of books on different topics. Uh, from different things that I've done in my life. Uh, I, I actually, uh, from some of my business, things that I've done in business, I've, I've done because I've done a lot of, uh, you know, motivational speaking and, mm-hmm. and I do a lot of compliance and consulting work outside of my Taekwondo life. So there's some books there. I have taken some some of the things that we've done in prior magazines, some physical fitness articles, some interviews. Those have been the basis for, I've compiled those into uh, different books. But also I've written other things as well. I wrote a, a book that is a book called The Suffering of Innocence, which I had written a manuscript for. It's a, it's a work of fiction, sort of about human struggle a little bit. And I had submitted it to a couple of publishers and, and one of the publishers decided to publish it. And then following that, I did a, a, an interesting book about, uh, it was actually a nonfiction book about um, a major company in uh international company that went through some very, very strange things, bankruptcy, uh, criminality, uh, murder. And I had, and that was the rise and fall of uh, H&H Bagels. So yeah, I've written on a number of things. I continue to write. I happen to be a big believer in reading and writing. I, I think that for me, being able to stay uh, involved in things that are going on, but for me, you know, people have different forms of expression. Writing for me is really something that I've had to, like the martial arts, I'm not a natural writer. I'm not a gifted writer that I've gotten better at it by doing it, by uh, persevering and by continuing to write. Nice. So what is some advice you would give someone who approaches you that they've never done martial arts in their life and they're thinking of getting involved? They just want to know what are some things they should look for in a school and an instructor and maybe some things to avoid. That's great. You know, I I think that there is uh, such an unbelievable abundance of places to train, but they're not all good. But I think the important thing is, number one, understanding what it is that you're looking for. Am I looking for a place that I really just want to Uh, And again, whether I'm a parent or I'm looking for myself, am I looking for a place where I want to learn certain skills? 
Am I looking for a place where I'm just looking to get physically fit? Am I looking for a place where I'm looking to learn how to fight or learn how to defend myself? I think those are important. I think it's important to understand the history of your of the school that you're looking at and understand the programs and understand the the lineage of it, you know, uh, to, to go in and, and speak to the people. What, what is the culture like? I've been in schools that have very, very gifted fighting that goes on, but the culture really wasn't one of tradition and one of respect. So for me, when I thought about bringing my kids to train, it wasn't a place for that I felt comfortable to bring uh, my kids. And I also think that it's really important that you have the opportunity to, to view and to participate in classes uh, before you make a decision. I think that if anybody is proud of their program and anybody has confidence in their program, They'll allow you to come, to sit, to watch, um, talk to some of the students, and to participate. Take some free classes and and see how you feel about it. I think it's it's very very important. I think the biggest mistake that people make is to simply go to the nearest dojang or the nearest martial arts school because it's mm-hmm. physically close. Uh, physical proximity is important. I think you know if you're going to go regularly, you don't want to go to one that's really far away and you're not going to be able to get to. But it shouldn't be the the first and only factor. You know, I would I would check out the reputation of the place and I would go see a few different places and and see what's comfortable for you. Nice. So now you started in traditional martial arts. You, you've gone into the sports side of it. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on MMA and the UFC? And are you a fan? I am a fan and I'm very involved in the press corps for PFL and for Bellator. Nice. Um, and I find it very interesting when we see, you know, like uh, Master Valerie Lareda and people that come from a Taekwondo background that have relative success because the MMA world is so fixated on um, judo and jujitsu and wrestling. And I get that, that when someone comes in who can really kick, they sometimes uh, turn the game on its uh, side. I like it. I think it's, it's people have to understand that that's a, it's a different game. It's a different um, skill set. I have great respect for, for those people in the way that they fight. But to me, it's not generally in and of itself martial arts. So for, for me, while I respect their ability to fight, you know, I, I've been to, to MMA gyms, I've been to, um, you know, combat gyms to some degree. Sometimes it's like giving someone a loaded gun without teaching them how to gun safety. I like the traditional martial arts culture because while we teach people to fight, we also teach them to temper it. That's not always true on that side. So that makes me a little bit nervous about people going and studying there. Uh, I think it it can be a little bit dangerous, but as a form of entertainment uh, from the form of athleticism, I I enjoy it. And being in the press corps, I've had great opportunities to be ringside at a number of great high level mixed martial arts matches. And it's, it's, it's really a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. I've, I've judged about a a thousand uh, pro MMA fights over, over three states over the last 15 years. Yeah. So it is fun sitting ringside. (laughs) Absolutely. So who are some names that you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts? Ah, great question. Great, great question. You know, I, I think that of course I, I, it probably, and, and I, in my three years of, of doing podcasts and in my, my years of writing, uh, I don't know that there's anyone who's probably over the age of 30 who, who wouldn't agree that Bruce Lee belongs on anyone's list mm-hmm. so, so cert- certainly i would say bruce lee for me as a young guy as a young non-asian guy chuck norris yep. was a, a a huge influence on me uh somebody who who sort of uh gave you know the the notion that 
martial arts and high level martial arts wasn't reserved simply for Asian people. So that for me was really inspiring. Um, I, I think even to this day, the work he does with kickstart kids and, yep. um, you know, I, I think he's a, a great inspiration and a, and, and, a, and a great guy. And I had a great opportunity to meet him at one of his book signings and he oh, wow. could not have been a kinder and, and more respectful and genuine person. I mean, really, I was more impressed than, than anything when I met him. Grandmaster Yanwan Park would be on there for me because of his work with the 1993 uh, 11th World Taekwondo Championships in New York City at Madison Square Garden, which was what the uh, the IOC used to uh, grant. They, they, that event is, is where the IOC uh, members came to witness Taekwondo that they really weren't that familiar with when they were considering it for uh, Olympic status. Mm -hmm. And his work on that to me makes him a, a, a pioneer. Cool. Who else? Well, those are probably, so I need one more, right? Oh, so you don't, it, it doesn't have to be four. So uh, <laughs> some guests pick I'm two, some guests pick four. So Yeah, no, I would say, uh, I would say, I, I'll give you a modern day guy who I think probably is one of the most dynamic and interesting martial artists who I think is underrated is Iko uh, Uwais in oh. um, Panjax a lot. I think he is talented beyond, and I think he's got a great screen presence. And I think that, you know, the future for him, depending on what happens in the movie industry, is that he probably could be at this point the most talented uh, martial arts movie star in the world. Wow! So I would put okay. him in there. Very good answers. Good answers. All right. Is there one philosophy you've learned in all your years in martial arts that just rises to the top? It's super important to you. You keep coming back to it. Yes, I, I, I think that for me, I think it's important this notion of comparing yourself to yourself and to measure your success. And to measure your progress and your progress goals and your achievement goals against your path, not against anyone else, is one of the most important things nice. that I had to learn. That's a great one. I love that answer. All right. So this one, you can't pick one that you wrote. Do you have a favorite martial arts book? Oh, that's a great, that's a, that is a great question. Uh, my favorite martial arts book. Hmm. I would say Ronnie Molina wrote a book called talking to the masters i believe it's called now I'm, I'm embarrassed that i can't remember the title of it let me just think for a second it's a uh, master ronnie molina out of texas the reason that i love this book is that what he did is he's such a um, great martial arts fan as well he's a police officer out of texas uh, sugar hill texas and he did a book that is a compendium of interviews with people of martial arts from all different aspects of um, of martial arts. It's listening. I apologize. I had it backwards. I just looked it up. Yep. It's called Listening to the Masters by Ronnie Molina. And uh, the book is just one of those books that you sort of can keep with you because it's it's got so many different people in there. You could read the whole thing through. You can pick and choose. You can underline. And it joins masters of so many different styles. And what really struck me by it was how you could be have kung fu masters, karate masters, taekwondo masters, all different people, MMA, and then there are certain common themes that really just tie through all of their philosophies. So that's probably one of my favorites. Nice, yeah, I hadn't heard of that one. I'm just I'm adding it to my list. That's one reason I yeah. put that question in there because I love reading martial arts books. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great book. It's nice. a really great book. All right, and and I believe I think you grew up in the '80s, kind of like me. So I'm curious. Do you have a favorite martial arts video game? 
You know what? I've never been a video game guy, but there, but I used to play, uh, I think it's called Street Fighter, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Street Fighter. I think I used to go to the arcade, uh, right, with my quarters and uh, by my house. There, and, and that was one of the ones that I used to play. Nice. And I used to, I, I used to enjoy that one. Good one. Good one. All right. Favorite martial arts TV show? Favorite martial arts TV show? You know, I would say Into the Badlands. Oh, nice. Actually. Great answer. I like Into the Badlands a lot. I got into it and I was like this whole notion, right, of no no guns. And um, I thought it was unusual. I thought it was visually great. Uh, I thought the martial arts in it was great. I love the characters. That is probably, at this point, my favorite martial arts television show. I think you're my second guest that has said that one. So that's that's a good one. So, all right. Favorite martial arts movie? My favorite martial arts movie is, and, and when I have asked this question, everybody says Enter the Dragon, which I love, and it's probably number two. Believe it or not, The Night Comes for Us, which is Iko Uweis, and um, it's Iko Uweis' movie. It is, it's, it's not the movie that he was uh, found, you know, he was uh, discovered in, but it, it is probably, in my opinion, his best work. The, it, the night comes for us. Okay. I don't think I've seen that one, so I'll have to watch That's that probably one. among the most violent movies, martial arts or otherwise you'll ever see in your life. It's it's brutally violent movie, so it's certainly not a kid's martial arts movie, but it's it's a great movie. Okay. See, in me, that's my uh, Enter the Dragon is usually my number two and number three. My number one is always Karate Kid because that's the reason I got involved in martial arts. Sure, so. sure. And, and, and I think statistically, if you look at uh, martial arts enrollment, Probably other than Enter the Dragon, Karate Kid is probably a, a, the number one reason that people entered the martial arts in, in this country. Yeah, I was having that conversation yesterday. It was like, you know, Enter the Dragon started a boom. Karate Kid had even a bigger boom. And you jump, jump ahead about six, seven years and it probably had Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers combination. Absolutely. And then we haven't really had one since then. I, I've, no, I mean, I, I'd love to see... We definitely have seen people have come in because of Cobra Kai. Absolutely. We've, we've seen, I don't think it's been, you know, the floodgates, but no. also part of it was COVID at the same time. So it's maybe a little hard to judge, True, but definitely heard students talking about, Hey, you know, I saw this on, you know, they want to do like Cobra Kai and things of that nature. Okay, cool, cool. All right. Final question. Now this one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie. Do you have a favorite movie fight scene of all time? Oh, wow. Yes, it, actually, I do have a favorite movie fight scene, and that is Scott. Uh, it is a martial arts movie. Scott Atkins and Amy oh. Johnson in The Accident Man, the first Accident Man. Nice. Okay. God, that is, I need to that is a that. <laughs> that is a great scene. That scene kind of harkens back to Jackie Chan and Samuel Hung. Uh, and uh, there was the fight scene in um, Meals on uh, Wheels on Meals. Mm-hmm. Meal, we, Wheels on Meals. Meals on Wheels. I forget the name of the movie, the Jackie Chan movie. Yep. Very, very similar style, but that's a Jesse V. Johnson movie accent. And that fight scene is. You know, you sit there, he's going to fight Amy Johnson. You know, she's she's a martial artist, but you're like, all right, he's, you know, male versus female. It's a terrific scene. It's fun to watch. It's visually great. Um, it's it's one that I, I I could watch that scene over and over. Nice. And I tell you, whenever someone mentions Sammo Hung, I always, the, the one, in my opinion, one of the most underrated TV shows of all time, Martial Law. I wish that show would have lasted. Absolutely. Such a good Absolutely. show. <laughs> Absolutely. Terrific show. And he's great. And, and he's another one of those people that, like, 
even if the vehicle isn't good, if Sammo Hung's in it, you can watch it because it's, you know, he's going to always be good in it. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Well, Mark, I, I want to thank you, man. First of all, any, anything else that we, maybe we didn't mention, you want to make sure I get out there? Uh, no, I'm, I'm really happy to speak to you. I love your passion for martial arts. I checked out your, your site. It's terrific. Uh, I, I think it's great. I'm really honored to, to speak to you today and I, I, I hopefully we'll get to meet in person uh, in our, in our travels. That would be wonderful. I, I truly appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.